So for a lot of you who know, I used to work in advertising. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was definitely a, a dream job for me. Um, just being around amazing creative people, uh, being able to work on huge briefs, do really sort of fun work that got seen by big audiences. And um, yeah, just as like I said, it was a dream job that I'd worked hard to get. And uh, But, you know, like anything, I'd got slightly sort of um, jaded at times. And uh, so when I uh, was offered the chance to kind of leave, set up on my own uh, and do other things. I kind of, I, I went for it, but I uh, <laughs> I got it completely wrong. And, and if I was to do it again, there are so many things I would have done differently, you know, very, very differently. Um, and I wanted to share those with you because if you are working in an agency currently or you want to kind of get experience or you're considering kind of setting up on your own, I think a lot of these principles still apply. And unless someone's going to sort of tell you how they got it wrong, uh, and that might make you think it's going to be hard and you're probably going to have to make all those mistakes yourself. And if we can avoid doing that, I think that's better for everyone, really. So the first thing was when I left, uh, you realize kind of what a bubble you in, you're in, as in working in an agency that that becomes your world. The people you work with become your kind of like work family. Uh, but more than that, it's kind of you're insulated from all the things you need. Uh, as a business owner that you don't have to do or think about uh, an agency so it's this thing of in the agency you don't really think about like getting clients or how much you're paid because you're on a salary and the the briefs come to you Um, you don't think about negotiating contracts or marketing yourself or networking because again you don't need to because the work is brought to you so when you actually leave uh, all of a sudden you realize oh I don't really know anyone I don't know how to get clients. I don't know what I should be charging. I don't even know what goes into a contract. And so to be brutally honest, if it hadn't been for me, and like I said, my grandfather's inheritance, which helped me paid the rent in the first few months of kind of going into freelance, I would have been completely stuck. So the first thing, like whenever you do anything, is always have a nest egg. And the bigger the nest egg, that, that sort of kitty set aside of savings, uh, the more power you have because it makes it easier to say no to stuff you don't want to do. But when you're desperate and you've got no money, you'll say yes to everything. And that always, you know, tends to sort of go in the wrong direction. So just as an, you know, like anything, having some sort of savings set aside. Uh, and I don't always mean like rainy day savings. That's always useful. But like having savings that you're saving deliberately in order to allow you to leave your job is is important because I think just the general uh, the process of having to save for say six months of expenses is really tough and if you're able to do that and show that kind of discipline and self-sacrifice then you've got a much better chance of making it on your own um, when you go solo so that's the first thing like I said I was very fortunate but um, since then that's always been the big thing if I don't need the work uh, I can choose to do what I want to do not what I have to do and that's really important. So the first thing is um, when I left, uh, I realised that I should have spent a lot more time getting to know the people around me. That's the first thing, because all the advice I needed and all the help from all the people, they were all there. All these brilliantly talented, generous, kind, helpful people I work with every day, but I never took the time to get to know them. And it's a huge mistake because, you know, you know, to quote, Uh, people talk about Jon Snow I knew nothing like he did and it's a case of because you know nothing 
you're going to make bad decisions because the only way you can find out what you should be doing is to try stuff and that's inevitably probably going to be wrong and you're very vulnerable to being taken advantage of and saying yes to the first thing that comes along so you know to be honest the fact that I just left was stupid uh, because I didn't have a plan and that's the other thing you're going to need and it's a plan Um, you need to make sure that you know what you're doing, where you're going, why you're leaving, all these kind of things. Because if you don't know, you're going to make the same mistakes. And for me, as I was leaving one of the best industry, best ad agencies in the industry at the time, the only way was going to be down. um, Because without that sort of safety net and infrastructure and reputation, it's really, really hard. So this is my kind of advice to you. So the problem, like with anything, is if you don't have that plan, and you don't have the resources to keep you going, you're going to fail. Um, because the perception is that freelancing and, and going solo and having career, you know control of your career is going to be sort of sexy and empowering and, and exciting. But the reality is that when you need to pay the bills, that that's not so sexy. Uh, so you need to do work and then you end up realising that, oh, if I need to do work, I need to get clients. And if I need to get clients, I need to do networking. And all of a sudden, you're going to f- spend your time uh, doing all the kind of work to get clients instead of doing the work for clients. And that isn't great and exciting. And like I said, it, this is not probably what you set out and thought you were going to be doing. Um, combine this with, like I said, a lack of savings uh, and anyone to really help you. You're going to struggle. You're probably going to have to quit your freelancing and then probably go back to the agency you're working with, hoping you hadn't burnt any bridges and sort of begging for your old job back. And it's tough because your pride's going to be hurt and you're going to worry that, you know, people, uh, you know, think less of you and you're probably going to have to take a lesser paying job, which means that you might have even slipped down the pecking order at work. So this is really, really tough. Um, So it's this thing of there's a real balance here between how can I successfully escape, but also successfully escape into something that I actually want to be doing. And that's the thing. It's easy to kind of quit and escape, but you're going to be back there or you're going to take something worse if you haven't got a plan um for me the 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 solution comes in you know laying the groundwork and planning ahead uh to make your exit successful by you know basically building bridges and and making you know get to know people and building strengthening those relationships having a plan of action and having some money set aside um it's not sexy this but it is essential uh like i said you you need that nest egg to take the pressure off so you can kind of take your time to find opportunities that suit you you need the relationships of all the people who you know to help you get opportunities and you need a plan to remind yourself why you're doing and have something to stick to Um, because like I said you know if you don't have that plan it's very easy to get sort of distracted or to veer off onto other things which seem important at the time but are ultimately probably just a distraction so what I wanted to do in this uh, episode was just kind of talk about all the key elements, uh, the people, the things I should have done and how you can take advantage of them and and how they can be helpful to you so that you don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, and we'll just go through all of them. And like I said, it, there isn't particularly any sort of, uh, it's not that more things are more, are more or less important than each other. It's they all matter uh, and you all have to kind of work on them. So let's go through them. The first thing, as I mentioned earlier, was relationships within the agency. Um, it's crucial that out of respect for the people you work with, that you give them plenty of notice because they need to find time to replace you and you don't want to burn any bridges because quite often they will have contacts and they might even be able to refer you and get you work 
and even bring you back on a kind of like part-time basis if you're struggling. But if you've just pissed them off by, you know, just saying, see you guys, I'm out of here, then not only will they not help you, but they will probably not blacklist you, but your reputation will be damaged. And it's when it comes to like asking for referrals, they're certainly not going to give you one. Um, so that's the first thing. You need to make sure that you don't burn any bridges in the in the agency by being really respectful, um, giving 100% until you leave, um, not trying to sabotage things or like, you know, go around talking about what you're planning and talking the agency life down. You've got to be, you know, you, you've got to assume in your head that you might end up back here. So if you've got to come back, make sure that when you come back, if you hopefully you won't have to, but if you do, that the people are pleased to see you. So the first thing I should have done was not only, you know, I, I wasn't an arsehole, so that isn't a problem. I wasn't rude or difficult. I did what I said. I worked really hard. I tried to give as much notice as I could. Um, but the big thing I didn't do is I didn't spend any time building relationships with the people I work with. This is very common. You know, you work at the same place, depending, if, especially if it's big. You often work in your department and you only talk to the people you work with. And, and that's fine. Um, but the reality is that, you know, if you don't step outside that bubble, it can become like problematic because these are the people who, you know, you see every day and you already have relationships with them. The key thing is to kind of make new relationships with the people you don't quite see from other departments. So you can learn from them. So for me, uh, it was this thing of I knew all the people in the creative department, which is fine. But if we look at what you need as a freelancer or as a, to set up your own studio, or whatever you want to do, if we look at getting paid, then the first people I need to talk to are the accounts department because I need to understand, first of all, kind of what are payment terms, what goes into an invoice, what details do I need to include, do I need to have a separate bank account, do I need to get registered in a certain way from a tax point of view, uh, what are, you know, like payment terms of 30, 60 or 90 days, uh, rates of like how much I should be charging and what's the day rate and what can they afford, all of those questions that they're all going to come from the accountants and they're going to be able to tell me and kind of, you know, probably not show me invoices from other people. But if you're good friends with them, they'll certainly be able to help you with kind of like, well, look, in order for us to pay you, this is what we need on an invoice typically. And then you can understand that, like, OK, so I need to include all this. Uh, do I need to get sign up for any kind of invoicing software? All that kind of stuff. This is all going to be they'll just tell you because it's their job. But it, the thing is, if you don't think to ask, they're never you're never going to ask and you'll never know. So I always feel that when it comes to like building a really good sort of solid invoicing system and getting paid properly and understanding payment terms and deposits and sort of getting paid on milestones, all of that is enormous. And they will help you in doing all of that. And they'll probably know other people who can help get you sort you know, get you started and sorted and you know, they might, for example, know someone that they used to work with who's also gone on their own um, and you can partner with them. And is there's this often there is an opportunity for like a skill swap where you're in a big agency, you're a creative person. You can approach a smaller accountant who's just set up and go, look, um, I've just started out. I haven't got much money, but maybe we can do a skill swap where I'll, I'll do your photography or your website. And in return, you do my accounting for the year. And then in a year's time, I'll be able to pay you properly because I've been doing it. And that's where all these opportunities come from. It's, you know, it is always who you know, not what you know. So that for me was a big one, was um, understanding how to get paid cash flow um, and my rates, because inevitably you don't get paid as soon as you finish the work. Um, I didn't ask for deposits. Uh, I didn't understand how much money. I. This is why the nest egg is important, because if you just do a project and then bill at the end and then they say, well, 
we'll pay you in 30 days. Now you've like not had any money for the length of the project plus the now another 30 days. And that's industry standard. But if you don't know, you know, now you're kind of stuffed thinking, how do I get cash quickly? And that's never a good question to ask yourself because it doesn't end well. So again, the accounts department are the people who are going to be able to help you um, sort all that out. The same goes for the legal department or anyone who handles contracts because they will also be able to tell you what goes into a contract typically. You know, what needs uh, to be in there from a legal point of view, what you know, they can probably show you the basics of a really solid boilerplate contract that they use when they're hiring people like you. Um, they will also, same as the accountants, they'll know solicitors who, you know, perhaps again, you can do a skill swap or they can introduce you as a friend and get you set up with a, a simple contract. But the thing of that they will understand what are the important things to have in a contract to protect yourself and what is industry standard. And if you haven't thought about your contract or what you need to put in there, or even like kind of what you're what you should be paid, all these questions, um, they they will help you understand that. And like I said, being able to leave with uh, an understanding of what you should be charging in a typical like invoice template with a typical like boilerplate contract. You're already setting yourself up as far more professional because they will not only tell you what goes into these documents, but also how to use them, what to do when you're not getting paid on time, how to make sure that you don't what you need signed. Don't do anything but people sign everything. Don't do any work before the deposit's paid. These are all really obvious things that happen in life and business once you've been at it a while. But if you don't know this, then you will kind of be you'll be so excited to get the job, you'll agree to anything. And that's where, you know, people or opportunists will smell your, you know, that your newness and your keenness and unfortunately might uh, take advantage of you. It's the same when it comes to, well, it's not really headhunters or HR, but I'll get on to those. But like creative directors and people that do hiring and firing, obviously talking to them, creative directors, you know, that, that's important for your career. But from this point of view, understanding kind of what their budgets are and what they look for when they're hiring people is massively important because that again with we'll talk about portfolios but but that's going to give you an idea of kind of what's the going rate for my role or my you know level of quality of you know of competence within the industry what should I expect to be charging because again we don't want to be undercharging and and not getting paid what we're worth but also we don't want to be overcharging and killing any opportunities that might come our way just because we've priced poorly so again that's another really really important thing to look out for talk to those people who deal with the hiring and firing and try and find out what qualities they look for and where they go um, to source creative talent other relationships to think about outside the agency i mean first and foremost i'd say headhunters um this is going to be vital i mean they they often know of job opportunities that are going to come about before anyone else Um, So for me, we've always worked with headhunters and they've been brilliant because, um, like I said, they're connected with it's kind of like they're on the grapevine. So they know that people that are sort of considering leaving. So if you wanted to recruit any talent, they know that they know of job opportunities before they come up and they will be a really, really good advocate at getting you jobs. So for me, the advantage of a headhunter is they'll be able to get you into good shape. So. As far as they will make sure you're paid properly because they're getting commission, they'll be able to advise you on contracts and opportunities, and they'll also be able to kind of recommend you for jobs and work. So for me, um, being known by headhunters is absolutely crucial. Um, Within the thing, you want to make sure you're known by 
headhunters that are working with the type of companies you want to work with and who have a good reputation because that will reflect on you but yeah work getting known by headhunters is essential uh, and finding you know making sure that you're in regular contact with them is good because like I said they will keep you kind of sharp and get you opportunities because they have a you know an incentive to do so but often you know they've got the relationships already and a you know finger on the pulse of what's happening within your industry so outside of the agency getting to know headhunters I'd say is, is essential and very very important other relationships to consider is definitely friends and family so some people I understand look you don't want your family involved because even though they kind of um, might have your best interests at heart that that isn't always easy and you know especially if you're quitting your job and they're kind of criticizing that decision in itself um, that might be tricky but what I would say is the one thing to consider um, is that quite often friends and family they they want to help us they have our best interests at heart and they'll be able to introduce us to people uh, and and get us opportunities and potential clients very very easily through word of mouth favors and referrals and although look it's not ideal and it might not be the kind of the the work you dreamed of creating but certainly um, working on these jobs is going to give you experience and confidence um, and it's going to help you build a kind of portfolio which there's a massive learning curve in going from um, you know working in an agency where the, the work is brought to you to actually having to manage a project and deliver the work as well and that often those first couple of projects can be rough so it's much better to make sure the client is a family friend or someone who knows someone because they'll probably be more forgiving of you they'll understand your situation and there'll be an easy sell because the person introducing you would have already sold you in so for me that was um, a really good kind of way of considering what you needed to do considering who to reach out to who could actually help you so I would definitely consider um, looking at your friends and family and their network and seeing if you know if you can get some introductions to clients that way because it will like I said it's going to bring in much needed money and experience in a short term super connectors are also vital they're similar to headhunters um, but they don't recruit staff so they they often run networking groups um, and are well connected and their value is in simply who they know and who they can introduce you to and therefore the power of their black book um, one of the best super connectors i know is um, a man called john harvey who runs the samphire group and he's not only lovely but he maintains such a high quality of like people within that group he can get you past so many gatekeepers if he likes you and you're good friends and you've been a valuable member he'll happily introduce you and the amount of times he's made really great introductions for me personally that has you know always led to really good quality work um he's saved me so much trouble so the value is in this kind of you get to know those people and you join their networks and that will build your network and because they are maintaining some sort of quality control in itself um, you are benefiting from like their curation effectively the key thing is to always make sure that you get to know the super connectors within your industry and there's no point getting to know influential people who are running a group that isn't relevant or of any interest to you um, but it is going to be one of these things that getting to know them is going to really really help you because they'll be able to introduce you to all the right people so for me it's 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 definitely an investment to pay to join these groups because that is a, again it's a quality control and you want to support the person and the value is in simply asking for referrals and getting to know the right people 
And although we all kind of hate networking, if it's done right, um, it can be a really good investment in yourself, in your own network and a good use of your time. So for me, the recommendation is get to know the right ones. Always keep them happy. You know, always be very complimentary. Uh, Always pay, you know, turn up events regularly and make sure you're good friends with them genuinely. And like I said, then you're putting yourself uh, in a really good place when it comes to if you want an introduction or a referral, you've built up the kind of capital to request that. Um, so yeah, getting to know super connectors within your industry is is vital. The other thing to consider, which is similar, would be client industry influencers. So these are people who often play an influential role within the industry that you want to work in. So it doesn't have to be social media influencers, but it's more people within that industry that your clients admire, look up to. So they're a bit more professional and a bit more kind of industry specific. So for example, in the restaurant industry, uh, there is a newsletter called Code Hospitality. Um, and the guy, Adam, who runs that is a really great guy. And that e- that email, I think, comes out, I think, four times a week. And it has all the kind of news that's going on in the industry. And, and a bit like a super connector, they do have their finger on the pulse. They will know of who is influential, who is moving, where, where their opportunities. So the twofold here is following them and signing up to their newsletter is always good because that keeps you up to date with what's going on. Um, but also getting to know them is really helpful because there's a connection. They're really good because they're going to know ahead of you opportunities that are coming up and they can e- even make recommendations and introduce you to people. So it's this thing of I find that if you're doing all of this and strategically getting to know industry specific people, then that means that they're more likely to talk to you. And often when it comes down to it, industries are smaller than we think. And if you know all the right people, that in turn will enhance your reputation and people will talk about you. So that's massive as far as, you know, uh, doing all of that. Now, with all these uh, relationships, and this is the first bit which I talked about, the most important thing, the best way to sort of to stay relevant and to get to know people is a kind of keep in touch strategy. Because as the saying goes, top of mind is tip of tongue. And so the best ways to remain in regular contact with these people in a way that is that feels natural and organic and isn't pushy or annoying is regular keep in touch. So the, the art of this is having a strategy behind it, but it doesn't feel like you have. Um, you can get like a, a CRM system to help you do this. I think HubSpot do a free one still, so that's worth considering. But the the principle is all you want to be doing is reaching out and making contact with these people regularly enough, maybe once every three to four weeks, um, just to remind them that you're out there and you exist. And it's really this thing of if you do it every day for half an hour, that becomes like a daily discipline, like brushing your teeth. And by doing that, that's the kind of the bit they don't talk about whenever you go solo is like you have to find time to work in your business doing the work but also working on your business which is doing the marketing and the lead generation and getting to know people and and raising awareness of who you are and so by doing this it's really really simple way of doing that kind of working on the business and kind of doing your own PR and marketing in a way that doesn't feel like that so it's very very simple it can be anything from you know DMing people liking their social posts sending emails making a call sending a postcard or a gift or anything like that It's just find ways to be regularly in touch with two types of people. The first group is people that you want to stay relevant and known by. So if you're a freelance designer and you want to get work in the industry, 
staying on the radar of creative directors is sensible because they're the people who are going to bring you in. And then the flip side is um, you want to be doing it and having an upwardly mobile approach where you're building your personal network with people that you're sort of like the creative directors look up to. So this is the thing of where you're kind of, I'm keeping in touch with my current network of people and people I already know and building those relationships sort of more socially. But in order to be upwardly mobile and sort of breaking into new social groups to get to know more people, ideally with a goal of moving upward to get to know clients with more money to give you bigger jobs, to raise your own profile and to have more you know, rewarding time doing what you're doing, you need to be reaching out to people who are, I guess, in the league above. So any authors, thought leaders, uh, any super connectors, all those kind of people, that's where you also need to make time for that as well. So I'd say it's it's going to be like a sort of 70% keep in touch with your current network and 30% looking to make connections with new people who are kind of in the network above you. And if you do that, you're always kind of do upwardly mobile, slowly progressing through different social circles. And that's always healthy because the more people you can know and the more opportunities you're going to get. I also talked about having a strategy. So the second part was when you leave, you need to have a plan. So the first thing you know you need to be asking yourself is who do I want to work with? So depending on the type of freelancer you want, you might want to maybe go and just work at another agency. Uh, that's fine. Or you might want to set up your own studio or you might want to just stay as solo or grow it to a three-man business. It, it, it's up to you, but it's the thing of knowing kind of why you're leaving and what you want to be doing uh, will dictate your plan of action and how you behave um, because the path to setting up your own mini studio of like say three to five people is very different to trying to get a job in another top agency in another city. So the first thing is always, I don't know what you want to do, but you need to know and you need to be very clear and aligned because once you understand that's where I want to get to, you can begin to reverse engineer the steps needed to keep you on track to achieving that. The second question is, what are they looking for? So once you understand who you want to be working with or for, then you need to work out what is it that those people are looking for from me. So if you're an agency, if you want to work in an agency, what are the agency looking for from someone of your caliber? What what skills do they need? What experience do they need? What positions are they hiring in? Um, that's massive. If you want to start as a, a startup and run your own studio or go solo, instead of thinking about agencies and creative directors, you're now looking at clients and what do they want from you? So it's there's going to be similar things. It's always going to be that you're likable, that you're good at what you do, but the experience you get and the skills you need to acquire will slightly change. And as you are more solo, then soft skills become more important because you're going to be managing client relationships directly and possibly hiring people and working with people. Um, versus if you're in an agency, then you might need different skills, you know, like I said, because you're working in-house and you might need to be like leading a team or working really fast or or being really creative and coming up with diverse ideas. It all depends on where you want to work. So knowing where you want to end up, who are the people who are going to play a key role in helping you achieve that, and then working out what are they looking for. Now, once you know what they're looking for, and asking them is the quickest way to find out, the third bit is you need to go, can you provide it? So it's all very well wanting to start my own studio or work at a top agency. But if I don't have the skills that they're looking for, 
um, or the experience or the portfolio, then it's not all for nothing. So I have to be careful in thinking, okay, being honest and objective and kind of not taking it personally, go, well, I'm lacking. We are all generally, if we want to move toward a new direction or move up, we will always lack the skills to do it because if we had them, we'd be doing it already. And like anything in life, if you want to improve, the complexity of what you need to learn and the difficulty of what you need to learn increases the higher you go. This is normal. And the reason why I say that is it's okay to be to you know to accept that and once you've accepted it then you'll be much more open to kind of learning to gain the experience and the expertise needed to show that you can deliver what they're looking for so this might be well i want to work um, with this type of client i want to be like a sort of one to three person agency so what what is it that they want from the current agencies they use and if you don't have that skill set can you hire it in Maybe you need to step sideways and work at one of those companies to gain the experience and then quit and then start over again. And then you can launch because you've now got the experience of what they need. It's this thing of take. it's worth taking the time to understand what they need and then working out a plan of action for you to gain and gather that information. And that's it. It's really a case of look at what courses you could take, look at the people you get to know, what experiences do you need to have done? How could you be kind of um, thinking differently about what you're currently doing? Do you need to kind of get any qualifications or win any awards? All these things um, are stuff worth considering. They don't need to be massive. But if we're going to leave and we want to be successful in applying our strategy, then this is a non-negotiable. This You have to get this right. You, you need to make sure because you're always going to fall short whenever you get to an opportunity to meet with that person and it's easily overcome. You've just got to work out what they need. If I want to work in a top-end restaurant, then they might say, well, you need to have studied under or attended these schools, or we want to see these kind of skills or this depth of knowledge. Okay, fine. Then if I need to do that, I'll go away and get all that information, come back, pair that with my passion, and prove to them that you're worth hiring. That's the way to do it. It's certainly a lot of humility, but it's fine because now you're going to be saying yes to work with a view to like, yeah, I'm taking the job, I'm enjoying it, and I'm paying the bills. But I also know on the, on the flip side, I'm gaining all these additional skills and knowledge and experience that is going to help me move upwards and gain a second job. And I wouldn't have thought like that if I wasn't planning it. So this is the important stage. Once you uh, have got this experience, or if you might already have it, the question to ask is, are you actually demonstrating it? Because I know so many freelancers, when they build portfolios, they make the mistake of building it for themselves and not their client. And it's very easy to fall in this trap of designing a beautiful piece of work that our peers love and makes us look amazing. But I can tell you that the flip side is clients care less about that because for them, this is a business investment. They're going to pay you to do a job and they want a return on that investment. So they want to see, actually, have you got a track record of being successful at what you say you do? Do you know my industry? Uh, can I see evidence of this? And also, can I see some testimonies from people I know and admire that back up what you're saying and actually will give me reassurance? Once they've seen all of those things, then it's very, very different and it's very easy for you to kind of win them over. So it's really important to step back and look at the way that you're communicating and demonstrating what you do online Everything from the way you write articles to the social posts you make, the comments you leave, your own website, all of that, audit everything 
and look through the eyes of your client. Remember, you know what they're looking for now. So are you seeing it? And if you're not, uh, and like I said, you might even, if you know someone who is your ideal client, ask them to kind of say, look, I'd really appreciate it if you audited my online presence. And if you didn't know me, what would you think? Take their, you know, feedback and make changes because this is the thing we need to do. And if you look at it like anything else in life, if you were fishing and you're like, I want to catch that type of fish, but I'm not going to change my bait, it's not going to work. We have to change our bait, the technique of fishing, where we fish, what time. We We have to adjust everything so it all aligns to give us the best chance of catching the fish we want. And this is the problem. It's fine. If you want to go to a lake and chuck in any bit of bait and you don't mind as long as you catch fish, that's fine. That's very much like saying, I'll take on any job because I'm just happy to make money, which is fine. But I think a lot of us, having pride in our work and being passionate and inspired by what we do, we want to work with people that feel the same, doing quite a specific task. So if you want that, then you need to show you can do that to these specific people. Now, the other question is going to be, how long is it going to take to win them over? So the reality, as hard as it is, we might want to work with this dream client, but it might take forever to win them over. And eventually we're going to run out of patience and probably money. So strategically, it's all very well kind of holding out for that dream and aiming for that. And I think you should always aim for that. It's the classic aim for the stars and hit the moon kind of approach. But we need to be a bit more strategic about what we're doing in the meantime. And therefore, that means that you need to probably look at taking on the smaller jobs um, if it's going to take a long time to convince them. So that doesn't mean you have to give up on your dream. It just means you need to change your focus in the short term to pick up some work that's going to allow you to keep going so that when you, you know, you can convince them that you're the one. It's a it's a tough balance, but I always find that the best way to do it is to, if you want to work at a dream agency or with a dream client and you think, well, okay, there's a long way off because they're currently signed to an agency or they've got people in, there isn't a, a room, they're not hiring. What can I do in the short term that will keep me in the game and show them I'm capable and not damage my reputation? Because if you end up, say, building a portfolio with smaller clients and they can't see how that would be relevant to them because these clients are too small compared to them, then you're damaging yourself. So what I would say is this, they're looking for a level of expertise from you. So the best thing you can do is take on smaller jobs, get the bills paid, hold out your dream of working for that client, so regular keep in touch, but then use these projects to showcase the kind of skills and um, success and expertise that they're going to be looking for. So at least these projects, although smaller in scale, they're still relevant for the client because you're demonstrating that you're picking up skills that they're going to value. So, you know, this is this thing of you need to work out how long it's going to take you to um, land this dream job or land this dream client. You need to work out how much money you need to stay in the game to do that. And then you need to ultimately work out, is it worth it ultimately? You know, and I can keep saying the word ultimately because it's ultimately it's very important. But the thing is, um, it, it might just be one of these things that from the distance looks really attractive, but the closer you get, you realise this probably isn't what I thought it was. And that's the question you've got and conversation you've got to have with yourself, to be honest. When it comes to winning over anyone, so this is the other thing, you need to work out who is the decision maker at that company. If you know who, what company you want to go after and where you want to work or who you want to work with, 
you need to work out who is the person who has got the power to give you that opportunity, who can either hire you or bring you in or sign off the deal. Um, the reason being is if you don't, if you spend too much time flattering the wrong person and say they leave or they weren't the person who makes a decision, you got it wrong, you're wasting a lot of time. So it's definitely worth doing your research, uh, possibly having a coordinated approach where you sort of reach out to a few people within one company and then try and work out who is that person of influence who can give you the job. So therefore, you're going to spend your time trying to convince them that you're good enough. And then also, if they are a person of influence, they probably have a gatekeeper in the form of a PA or receptionist who kind of keeps people like you away from them because they're busy. That's the other person you need to win over. I know that um, one of the stories is when we were trying to get a job at Saatchi's, um, we were trying to get this meeting with this guy for a long, long time. And we would turn up and sit in the reception with our portfolio uh, and hope that he had time to see us. But often it would get delayed or cancelled because he was busy. And in the end, it was uh, because we got to see his PA and she was so nice. Um, and she kept seeing us turning up and kind of like thinking, God, he, you know, he hasn't seen this the third time they've been here now. She was amazing and she actually was the one who got us the meeting and got us the opportunity because she basically said, look, see these boys, they've been really patient with you, you keep blowing them off, it's not fair. And because of that, we bought her lots of flowers and chocolates and said thank you because that's how we got the job. If she hadn't have stepped in for us, we wouldn't have never got closer to him. And so knowing how to kind of uh, be charming and be really nice to that person and respectful is massively important because, like I said, they, they can open doors for you if they like you and they want to help you. So it is that thing of who's the decision maker, who are their gatekeepers, and win both over. The third factor, and I alluded to this, was kind of money. Money is the biggest single factor in determining your success because without it, you can't afford, quite literally, to make decisions that are in your own best interest for your career. So I would put money above everything, even your portfolio, because imagine, you know, that it just means that you're so like if you don't have money, you can have a brilliant portfolio. But if you make a bad decision and say yes to a nightmare client, it can kill your enthusiasm for what you do and the work you're generating will be a bit shit. And what happens is the dream client you wanted to work with is loving your work. They have, they've now got the opportunity to work with you so they visit your portfolio again and then they see this kind of average work for another client. They think, oh, oh, maybe I was wrong. I thought they had more talent, but clearly they're just like everyone else. And then you, they've that nightmare client you said yes to because you need the money has killed your dream without you even knowing about it. So having money set aside is enormous. So for my, I advise it to a lot of people. I'd say the best thing you can do is to work out what is it that you need to live off for six months to be safe? So it's this thing of you need to work out all of your bills. Imagine if you were going to move to the city of your dream client and offer to work for them for free for six months, or you were going to wait six months for the opportunity to work for them while you were doing other things. The point being is if you've got enough money where you can say no to everyone else except that client, you have a lot of power. So the, flip, the thing to do is calculate all of your bills, utilities, rent, food, shopping, insurance, travel, phone, internet, 
and then always add on another twenty percent for unseen things that you might need um, that you know can't you you know can't even plan or predict. That is your nest egg. So let's say it's six thousand pounds or dollars, a thousand dollars a month. Or let's no, it's probably going to be more than that. So let's say ten. That covers everything. Or let's say that for my maths, because I'm simple. Let's say twelve. So you need two thousand dollars a month to live off. So I've got to save twelve. That's your goal now. Now. Don't ever borrow it from family or friends because that will ruin relationships. As I said in the beginning, the process of saving that $12,000 is what will determine how successful you are because that takes commitment, consistency and sacrifice. That tenacity to like always make the right decisions and go, no, no I'd love to spend this, but I can't. I'm saving something. Uh, taking on jobs that are well paid but aren't great because you're saving for something. That's massively important. So it's it's this thing of that mentality and mindset is what's going to make the difference for you so like i said don't borrow from anyone because that's going to put extra pressure on you but it's so important to kind of save that nest egg so you can say no Um, and being able to say no and not having to take the job is enormously important particularly when it comes to negotiating things the amount of power you have when you can say no and walk away is enormous Um, so this is why we would do that we would build up money And like I said, it's this thing of I have no problem with taking a crap job that pays well during the day so that you can save up this nest egg and then be working on your portfolio in the evenings and on weekends and building over time. Because if you turn up to your dream job with a great portfolio and say, I will work for you for free for six months. And at the end of the six months, I expect a job if I've proved myself. Nobody is going to turn that away because you're free labour. And if you've got good work, everyone will want you. So this is the, the ultimate strategy of like, you know, giving yourself real power. So money is enormous. Money makes all the difference. I know it's hard to do. I'm not being blasé, but I genuinely believe if, if it took you a year to save that money up, it will be worth it because those that six months of, you know, of having the, the power to say no and like really pushing yourself, enormous, enormous. You will also need to work on your reputation. So this comes back to getting to know all the people we talked about earlier. But are you networking in the right places? Because being seen in the right places, talking to the right people will absolutely um, boost people's perception of you who don't know you yet. You know, we've all heard the phrase perception is reality. Well, you know, until you've established your reputation, it is essential that you're seen in the right places, talking to the right people and getting to know those super connectors and headhunters who will actually vouch for you. So the big thing is, part of this is you need to be, like I said, networking, but try and see it as like a bit of PR and brand building as well. It's it's Networking can be terrible, but if it is terrible, if it's like a lot of people who go, I don't want to work with these people and it's awkward and embarrassing, then you're probably in the wrong group because as I said about the Samfire Club earlier, when you're in that group, it doesn't feel like networking. You just are having a, a really enjoyable chat with really talented, generous, kind people who all want to help each other. So that's massive. Um, as well as also, you know, part of the reputation building, you have to ask yourself, what kind of promotion or content creation are you up to? Particularly if you've kind of gone on your own and you're solo here, um, you need to be doing your own self-promotion and PR. I mean, it's, it is a non-negotiable because so many people will... Um, check you out on social media before they even consider hiring you so putting out some form of content uh, fairly regularly is important because it's also a good way of reminding people that you exist Um, 
We have to be strategic about how we do this, a bit like when I talked about building a portfolio earlier. The same with your website and your social media is you have to consider who is it for and what are they looking for from me and am I demonstrating the skills to them that are going to make them want to hire me. If you do a beautifully curated feed that looks like it belongs in a gallery but doesn't communicate any of your experience or thought leadership but your friends love it, then it's not going to work for you. So it's really, really important to have, be strategic, think about who this is for, forget everyone else, and just curate it consistently to demonstrate that. Once you've done that and you get into the habit of doing that, what you'll soon find is that you'll find opportunities in your everyday life where you've said something, done something, you talk to a friend or a client, and you'll go, oh, that would make a good social post. And then that's all you need to do. With your kind of building up with your website and your credibility and your reputation, um, you need to think about, you know, the question of do you have any awards, testimonials or case studies on your portfolio or website that demonstrate your expertise? I always find that if the work can speak for you, then that's the best place to be, because if you have to explain what the work is or why it mattered, then that's a struggle. So with all of your work, generally, Again, it's a bit like we said with the social media, you're looking to see what is it that the people I want to work with are looking for and can I make sure I'm showing all those things with my website. If there's any qualifications, accreditations or awards that they're looking for me to have, then I probably need to work towards acquiring those. And then I need to make sure that when I showcase my work, I talk about the problem I'm solving and the success that came from the work I did and the impact it had on my client's business. It doesn't mean you have to sort of the business doesn't have to get in the way of the creative, but it, they certainly have to work together. So you un, you explain it in a way that clients are going to be impressed. It, it's style and substance. And too often I see people kind of with lots of style, but very little substance. And that that is a problem long term. You know, uh, that is going to affect you because people are going to go, yeah, it's nice. But, you know, I'm questioning whether he actually is, is any of this real or is it all mocked up or, you know, if you're not building that trust by being honest about your process and what you did and didn't do and what worked and what didn't, it's going to be hard to convince people. Same thing with your digital presence. Um, it's a bit like updating your CV in the olden days. What you want to do is is look at all of your profiles and where you sit sort of online and try and make sure that it's all up to date. So this would be like what comes up on Google um, what comes up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, all those places, and make sure that the images are all the same, the headshots are all the same, and all the bios are the same, and the link in the bio or to your website is the same. Because what we want to do to make life easier for ourselves is we want to drive everything to one place so that we can control the narrative of that place, and that place is your portfolio. Now, it depends on what you want to do and there is always this kind of thing of is it a gallery page or a sales page or case studies now i always feel that you need to again consider what your client is looking for a creative director might be looking for like beautiful photography versus a client might be looking for an in-depth case study so you'll need to try and understand what they're looking for initially but i do kind of feel that there is a, a really big argument to be had to create a kind of sales page feel to what you do without it feeling like a small business. Um, but then again, if you're setting up as a small business, then this would be perfect. But what I mean is that you, when you show your work, always explain it in case studies. Talk about this is the problem you had. 
this was uh, your solution, this was your insight, this was the impact, this is the result and a nice testimonial. And that kind of sort of timeline of the project, uh, revealing relevant information for the client, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine with that. With the homepage, the reason why I say like a sales page is what you want to be doing with it is trying to make sure that um, you're capturing people's information. So it's always good to have signups for newsletters or lead magnets like guides that clients can download. Um, also, your, your social profiles so people can follow you in them. Again, if you're not updating them, probably not be, you know probably not worth including them. But as I said, it's this thing of you want to give people the chance to follow you or sign up to hear from you again, which you know keep in touch, stay top of mind approach. And like I said, it's going to be showcasing your work and what it's like to work with you in a way that's going to be appealing to them. So testimonials are great. Awards are great. Case studies are great. Explaining your process, if you have one, is always great. All of this stuff, what you want to try and do is eliminate any doubt in the mind of the person looking at your portfolio. And so they walk away completely clear on what they're looking for, how you can help and what it's like to work with you and how successful you are. And if you do that, you only need to put a lot of effort into doing it like once and then you, you know it's fairly good. And then maybe once a month, just check the stats and audit it and maybe move things around just to see if that improves the conversion rate. But generally, what we're looking for there is to um, create a sort of evergreen digital presence where people can learn about you and you can drive all of your traffic to that place and have that this peace of mind of like, I'm just kind of controlling the customer journey so it benefits me. Um, you'll also, if we move into the final bit, which we're going to is like protection. In the beginning, we talked about kind of um, getting contracts and getting all that sorted. It's pr- crucial that you're not taken advantage of and that you are protected legally. There are so many people that will look to prey on um, people who are new to the business because they will they'll they'll kind of go like they probably don't know their rate. They're desperate for work. I can kind of take advantage. And it's not that they want to do that deliberately, but anyone who is kind of thinks they can exploit you in any way is someone to stay well away from. And the way that we can keep these people away um, is to have a really rock solid contract. And the thing is, once you uh, present the contract and they don't sign it, or you ask them to pay a deposit and they don't pay it, that you don't do any work. You just stay away from these people. You make a note of these people are a nightmare and you walk away. So protecting yourself by having a good solicitor create a really solid contract for you that's going to keep the time wasters away is enormous. So um, ask someone who's kind of who's experienced in your industry, um, go and chat to them, find out what you need, ask them how it works and ask them, you know, pay them to do a really good contract for you. There are boilerplate ones out there. Um, there's nothing wrong with those, but it's it's definitely a good idea to maintain a relationship with the person who created the contract for you because if it goes wrong, then you might need to pay them um, to help you solve any disputes over you know unpaid invoices and sort of stuff. And a bit like um, the you know if we're going to talk about invoices and cash flow and making sure you get paid, understanding like the payment terms and um, what is sort of typical uh you know for example how you want to charge whether it's hourly or project based or value based is one knowing how much to ask up front for a deposit is also another one um being able to lay out a really clear invoice that is easy to understand and makes all that really clear and then also um has like if you use like i use zero or quickbooks or whatever 
any those often have like reminders built in so you don't have to nag the client but the thing is you have to understand the kind of typical payment terms of your industry so you can manage your cash flow so that can be anything from like 14 days from the invoice due date to like 90 days depending on which companies bigger ones will certainly um, have a longer you know sort of pay period or pay run um, typically it's I'd say it's two to four weeks you know so you're gonna have to manage your cash flow over that period um, or like I said you might want to pay in milestones on the project so it's a case of they might you might split the project down into five milestones and then they pay each time as a rule you want to talk to people who are experts in that industry so talk to accountants about invoicing talk to solicitors and legal advisors about contracts and if there's any point where the client isn't signing the contract and they're not getting back to you or they're not paying you on time then that's a massive red flag so it's so important you don't do anything without having them pay you if that makes sense because we want them you know if you ask for a deposit and they're slow paying that's a big red flag you know you you don't want to engage yourself in a legal situation where they're going to be difficult at paying you because it's too late then so for me um, having a rock solid contract will keep away all the opportunists and time wasters and having a really solid and easy to follow invoicing system will help with your cash flow and again will will eliminate time wasters where you're kind of going you need to pay me before I do any work whatsoever, a deposit. And only when that is paid and the contract is signed, will I start to do work? That's fine. Like I said, because quite early on, if there are payment problems early on, you can almost guarantee there'll be payment problems you know, further down the line. And the final bit is going to be, once you've settled this out, what should you be charging? Now, I kind of I alluded to it earlier that you t- you speak to people within the industry or the agency you're currently in and find out, and you can speak to headhunters to find out. But it's certainly if those aren't avenues open to you, then it's a case of you you need to kind of know what the industry rates are both for you so that um, you can be paid properly, or of what other people in your industry are charging when you want to use subcontractors because generally if 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 you want to bring in a copywriter and they're going to be a thousand pounds. Um, and then you you realize okay well once I'm I'm paying that person and then I've got to charge for me and I've got to calculate the project all of that will be, be dictated by like who is how much they're charging you and how much you can charge in between and also like knowing what clients have got available and what the industry rate is essential so that is the final bit is to basically make sure that you're up to date ask around uh, friends other people you work with uh, asking forums and make sure you kind of can gauge your industry rate and then I'd always say you want to be kind of upping it to the top end of that to see what the market will pay because clearly you'll hit a glass ceiling of like that's the limit I can get away with and then to go high you'll you'll need to you know acquire more skills but I would have to say that the best quote I've heard on pricing which is from Matthew Kimberley my business coach he said it's fear plus 10 percent so whatever scares you to price and then a little bit more, that's always a good place to be. And generally, that is the whole thing. Uh, I've waffled on a quite long, but I think that this is all useful. Um, I do think that the key to being successful does involve planning. Uh, it does involve having some sort of nest egg. And it does involve getting to know people. And if you can do all of those things, then you stand a such a better chance of being successful. And it doesn't take much in the early days to get the momentum going and before you know it you've been in it six months and then 12 months and then two years and by that kind of stage your reputation will be established and you'll be very confident in putting out your prices because you'll have kind of learned what to do 
But for me, these are all the things I didn't do. And I certainly, I really wished I had done. So I hope you found that useful. Um, if you have any questions, as always, it's thad at thaducation.com. Um, please join the group. Please come back to me if you have any questions. Um, if you find this useful, I'd love it if you shared it with someone because I want to try and help people out there. And that's it. So best of luck and uh, have a great day and I'll catch you soon. Mm-hmm.